Psalm 63, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you or around you. Uh, New Year's is a time for resolutions, and except you know, most people don't even make resolutions anymore. Raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution. Exactly, nobody. And uh, it's kind of, it, it, it's it's really a, a thing that we laugh at now. Uh, and I think the reason why we laugh at it, there are a few people who would say, you know, I don't make resolutions because I just want to be a good person year round. Uh, but I would say most people, myself included, kind of stopped making New Year's resolutions because I realized I couldn't fulfill them. You know, you, you make them a couple years. Uh, I remember, you know, probably 2017, I did like a whole three day deal where I had a notebook full of things I wanted to do throughout the year. And by June, I was just depressed. You know, I, like I wanted to lose 15 pounds, and by June I had 20 pounds to go, and that that was just in my physical health. I had you know category spiritual. I wanted to read the Bible this many times, and you know I got stuck in Leviticus, and I, I felt discouraged, and it led me to not want to make resolutions at all. And maybe you've never made New Year's resolutions, but I'm certain that you've made resolutions at some point in time in your life, and you failed to keep them. You wanted to lose weight, and you didn't do it. Uh, you wanted to read the Bible or pray. You wanted to do something, and you weren't able to accomplish it. But I would encourage us, as we come into this January, to not let that stop us from resolving to be a more Christ-like person. That as we come into this new year, it is, in fact, a great time to say, who was I in 2022, and who do I want to be in 2023? Now, I would encourage you, instead of thinking about just specific actions, think about the kind of person that you want to be. You know, don't, don't just say uh, you know, that you want to lose X amount of pounds. You say, I want to be a healthier person. I want to do the kind of things that a healthier person would do. And I'm not really all that concerned as your pastor with your physical health. I think it's important. You know, I want you to be physically healthy. But my job is to be concerned with your spiritual health. I, I want you to be more like Jesus. And as you look back last year, I want you to ask yourself, do I look more like Jesus? Do I love Jesus more? Do I seek him more wholeheartedly in January of 2023 than I did in January of 2022? Or am I stagnant? Am I lukewarm? Have I gone backwards? And and, and I want you to ask yourself, what are you going to look like? What do you want to look like as we look forward to December of 2023? Because it'll be here fast, friends. You know, to me, it still feels like the end of 2019. I don't even know what happened to the last few years. And I know without a doubt, I'll be standing before you guys, and it'll feel like five minutes, and it'll be 12 months from now. And who are you going to be when I stand before you? And as we look at Psalm chapter 63, I think we see three challenges or, or three kind of pictures of what a, a godly Christian is. When I think of what a Christian is, fundamentally, and this is something we say all the time, it's a person who loves Jesus. And because they love Jesus, they're being transformed by him and they begin to love like Jesus. And when they love like Jesus, they inspire the world around them. That's what it's all about, that you would love Jesus more. Because when you do, when you seek after him, when you want him as a person... What happens is you become more like him. And so will you be more like Jesus? Well, here's three challenges in Psalm chapter 63 to show you what it looks like. You know, at its best, this is the person who seeks after God, who loves Jesus with all he is. And I want you to ask yourself, how much do I look like this person? And most of us are going to say, not very much. And the question is, well, how can we become a little bit more like this person? So this text is going to challenge us. We're going to look at all five verses, look at three challenges, and then I'm going to come back through it, and I'm going to look at three comforts. Because by the time I get done with the, the challenges, you're going to like be looking at yourself in the mirror at the gym when you've gone for the first time in four years, and you're like, oh man, I've got a long way to go before I have my beach body. 
That's how all of us are going to feel when we look at our souls at the end of these challenges. But I want to look back at it because I think there's some great comforts in Psalm chapter 63, if you're anything like most of us, which is a little bit out of shape. But first, let me pray, because without prayer, without God helping me, this sermon, as with all others, will be worth nothing. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. God, the undeserved favor that you show us in Jesus Christ should baffle us. And yet, because we are sinners, our, our grace detectors are a little off. And God, we don't even really fully realize how good of a gift we have, and we often take it for granted. But Lord, that we get to gather here today confident that you hear our prayers and confident that this is your word to us is a miracle. And God, I pray that we would never forget it. Lord Jesus, my, my only hope for my hearers this year is that they would have a greater revelation of who you are. They would see you more clearly so that they might love you more deeply. Jesus, may none of us remain the same. May none of us go backwards this year. May we all be more like the writer of this psalm, seeking after you like a thirsty man in the desert. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. First, three challenges or or three pictures of what I think we ought to look like if we're pursuing after God. Number one is we see that the psalmist has an eager pursuit of God. Look at verse 1 with me, if you would. It says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. Uh, that word eagerly in the Hebrew is, is like a priority or firstly. Like nothing else even really matters. I'm, I'm seeking after you, and that is the number one thing I'm looking at. And as if that wasn't enough, he, he gives us an image of what that looks like. He says, I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate without water. He says, you want to know the way that I seek after God? It's as if I am dying of thirst and he is water. Now, if you were trapped in the desert, uh, you would not be all that concerned about you know, taking pictures. You wouldn't be all that concerned about looking at the cacti, which I think is plural for cactus. I don't know why that's plural for cactus, but it is. So you're, you're, not, you know, you're not really all that interested in the scenery. What are you interested in? Water. That's the only thing on your mind. Here's, here's an illustration that probably fits us a lot better. You know, when you're in the middle of Oklahoma's heat, you know, it was 27 degrees the day before, but now it's 127 degrees because Oklahoma's bipolar. And, and you're out there mowing your lawn, which is basically just a bunch of weeds, and stickers have popped up again, and you don't know how the stickers got there because you've sprayed for them 12 times. And you're out there mowing your lawn, and you're getting stickers in you, and it's hot, and you come in. How good is that glass of water? Oh, it's good. The psalmist says, that's what it's like. It's like I'm out in the heat and I want that glass of water. And that glass of water is God. I wonder how many of us seek God in that way. But like when you think about your Bible reading, do you seek God in that way? Are you opening the Bible saying, God, I need you. I've got to find you. Because if you're anything like me, what often happens is I'm expecting God to come to me. And I'm opening my Bible and I'm bored in five minutes and I'm like, forget it. You know, God, you should have made this easier. I'm not like a, a thirsty man in the desert saying, where is it, God? Where are you? And that, that's how we are supposed to search after God. I heard a story about a, a missionary to China. Not a missionary, rather. He was a pastor who supported missionaries in China. And uh, he went to China to visit some of these missionaries. And they had underground churches because uh, it was illegal. It still is illegal. But at that time, they were really persecuting the Christians in China. And uh, he went to this underground church. And the pastor picked him up from the airport. And as they're traveling, a conversation came up of Scripture memory. And the pastor uh, from America was really proud because he said, Yeah, I've been memorizing Scripture. And I memorized this whole chapter of the Gospel of John. 
And the other pastor kind of smiled and said, yeah, that's awesome. He said, I, I memorized the whole book of John. <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't bragging, but he, but he said it in, in certain ways. So the pastor knew that he had memorized the whole gospel of John. And uh, as the pastor went to the church, he began to speak to uh, all of these Chinese Christians. And he began to brag on, his, on their pastor, saying, you know, I heard that your pastor has memorized the whole gospel of John. Well, after the sermon, he found out that the whole church as a community together had memorized the gospel of John. They were eagerly searching after God in the word. And he asked them, why would you do this? I mean, that's great, but why would you do this? And they said, because when they throw us in prison, they take away our Bibles. But if the Bible is in our heart, they can't take it away. And the pastor said, I was incredibly convicted because my congregation had more Bibles than these people could ever dream of. And what most of them were using their Bibles for was as a dust collector. In America, we revere the Bible, but we don't read it. You know, like, don't put your feet on the Bible. Don't let the Bible touch the ground. But don't open the Bible either. Or, or, you know, we might have it open to our favorite verse so that people walk in, they see our Bible, and they go, oh, what a godly person. But we haven't read that verse in a very, very long time. We revere it, but we don't read it. Why? Because we're not like this thirsty man in the desert. You know, we don't actually believe that there is life in God that cannot be found anywhere else. Friends, I'm encouraging you this year to be like this man. Eagerly search after all that God has for you. When you come to a gathering like this and you hear me preach, some sermons are going to be better than others. And I might have several weeks where they're not very good. You can just ask my wife. She'll gladly tell you when I fail at a sermon. And yet what I want you to do is come not expecting me to feed you, but come ready to eat. Come ready. If Blake's not making any sense, just open your Bible and start reading anyways. You've got to find Jesus in it. Why? Because you're thirsty. You'll take water from anywhere because you eagerly want to seek after him. Make this a year where you open your Bible and you read. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you about a Bible reading challenge. I want us all to read through the whole Bible together. And a lot of you are going to sign up and say, let's do it. But then you're going to get to Leviticus and you're going to get to Numbers and you're going to get to First Chronicles. And you're going to say, this is a lot of chronicling. And... What I'm going to encourage you to do is to keep reading, to keep showing up, just like you do when you eat. Not every meal is fantastic. Not every meal is something you remember, but you eat anyways. You know why? Because you've got to eat to stay alive. And what I'm telling you is just as important for your physical health as your spiritual health. And you've got to eat of the word of God. You've got to seek after God if you're going to stay alive. You need to be like the thirsty man in the desert. And this also leads into 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's why we put it first every year. It's very important that we do it in January because we want to say prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. Before we do anything, God, before we go into this year, we want to consecrate it to you. We want to give it to you. We're eagerly searching after you. And I'd encourage you to be a part of that with us. Uh, Number two, number one was eager pursuit of God. Number two is we see that the psalmist has a love for the person of God. Now, for us in the New Testament, I would say love for the person of Jesus, a love for the person of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Look at verse two. It says, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Do you notice what he's trying to get from God? He's trying to get God from God. He's not going to God saying, Lord, I'm looking at you to see how I can make my life better. Or God, I'm looking at you to see how I can make my marriage better. Now, now, if you get to know God and God changes your life, all those other things will fall into place. But as a Christian, the very first and foremost thing we should want is more of Jesus. Jesus, I want to look at your strength. I want to look at your glory. I want to look at your beauty and I want to gaze upon it. I want it to take over my life and to completely consume me. What we all need is an apocalypse. 
Now, when we think of apocalypse, we think of the end of the world. Uh, But the word apocalypse simply means reveal. So when the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you to have a revelation of Jesus Christ, if you look at the Greek, he's saying, I'm praying for you to have an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. I'm praying for your eyes to be open, for the scales to fall off, so that you could see him for who he really is. When you're praying for your children, this is what you ought to be praying you know, you're, not, you're not praying, God, you know, I pray that my child would, would stop drinking so much, or I pray that my God would dump that worthy, wor- worthless boyfriend that they have. You, know, you, you shouldn't be praying for those sorts of things. No, you pray, God, I pray that they would have an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. They would know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of their inheritance in the saints, and what is His power toward us who believe. I'm praying they would see that, because if they see that, that worthless boyfriend, he's going to be nothing. All the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. Friends, that's what I want for you. That's what the psalmist is saying. I want an apocalypse, God. I want to gaze on your strength and on your glory. And friends, I wonder if that's how you come to God. If if I were to look at your prayers, if we were to print all your prayers out and I were to read them up here, some of you would be really embarrassed. Uh, And I would wonder if we were to say, how many of these prayers are you asking for stuff? And how many of these are prayers of you just talking to God? I wonder what the tally mark would be. Some of you would say, Blake, you know, if you're honest, it'd be a really short sheet because I haven't even prayed that much at all. But when you do pray, it's often because you're in a lot of trouble and you say, God, I need something. See, because the way most of us treat God is as a vending machine. I'm praying because I need something. I put my dollar in the Coke machine, hoping to get a Coke out. And when my life begins to fall apart, when I look at my bank account and I thought there was one more zero in there, but there's actually only like $10.96 left and I've got a $300 electric bill to pay. All of a sudden I'm on my knees praying. What am I doing? I'm putting the dollar in the Coke machine. God, give me something. I'm going to go open my bell box and hope there's a check out there. You know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, because I need help. And there's nothing wrong with asking God for help. He loves to help his children. But don't pray to him as a vending machine. Pray to him as a father. God, I love you. God, I want to seek your face. God, I want to know what you want for my life instead of me just telling you what I want for my life. I want to see you for who you are. Friends, if I can encourage you, make it a habit this year to pray more prayers of gratitude towards God. Very simple way to do this is to bring your, bring your life into prayer. Uh, I was just reading a, a biography about a Confederate soldier, uh, Stonewall Jackson. And one of the things that he often did, he was a very religious man, and uh, he would talk to his, uh, his soldiers beneath him. And he would tell him that the greatest thing he did for his spiritual life was to turn everything into a reason for praising the Lord. He said, as I shower in the morning, I thank God for the blood of Christ that has washed my sins away. As I drink water and I eat food, I remember the bread of heaven that is Jesus who came to fulfill me. And in every little action of his life, he would take the opportunity. It wasn't a long prayer, but it was a prayer of gratitude to God for what he had done. He used everything as a reminder for the goodness of God. Now, friends, if we did that, if every time you ate, you didn't just pray a prayer, God, please help this food to nourish our bodies. I'm sorry, every time you guys pray that, I want to stab you with a fork. Because... Number one, that's what food is supposed to do. It's supposed to nourish your body. You don't need a miracle for the food to nourish your body, okay? And some of you pray the prayer, and it's going to take more than a miracle to make that food nourish you. You know, if you're eating Oreos, do not pray for God to nourish it. That is called stupidity, okay? What we ought to pray when we come to food, and if you pray that, I'm sorry. I probably just offended some people because that's what a lot of you pray. But a far better prayer, a far better prayer is a prayer of gratitude. God, thank you for providing for me. God, thank you that this food is a representation of the provision that you've given me in Jesus Christ. This food is going to go away. It's going to be hung- I'm going to be hungry again in a couple hours. But the food you've given me in Jesus Christ will fulfill and satisfy me forever. God, we praise you, and now we eat with glad hearts. Amen. That's the kind of prayer that stirs my affections for Jesus. 
Not just a kind of prayer that I check off to say I prayed before my food as if there's some kind of magic. You know, when I was a kid, I thought that if I didn't pray for my food, I was going to get sick. And the first time I didn't pray for my food, that I remember not praying for my food, I was terrified. Because I thought, oh, we didn't do the magic spell over the food. That's not what prayer over food is supposed to do. We're, we're praying because we remember who God is. That's the psalmist. He has a love for the person of Jesus. Eager pursuit of God. Number two, love for the person of Jesus. And number three, this is the last one, lifestyle, a lifestyle of worship and praise. A lifestyle of worship and pray. praise. Look at verses three through five with me. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Just think about how ridiculous that statement is for just a minute. That's something we read over, we put on a coffee mug. He's saying, I'd rather be dead than not have your faithful love. Your faithful love is better than life itself. You want to tell me this verse isn't encouraging for somebody who's suffering? The person who has terminal cancer can look at this verse, and if they believe it, do you know how joy-filled they're going to be in a time in which the world would say, you have nothing to joy in? Yeah, I'm dying. My body is weak. My outer man is slipping away. And yet God's faithful love is better than life itself. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live at your name. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. In other words, he's going around and he's so overfilled with worship that he has to talk about God. Now, if you have joy, you know that your joy in the thing is not complete until you share it with somebody else. Like if you watch a really good movie or you eat at a really good restaurant, you have to begin to tell people about it. It's just it doesn't matter if they can't even go to the restaurant. You go on a really cool trip. You come back. You're showing us pictures of your cool trip. And the whole time we're going, OK, that's great. And really on the inside, we're like, we don't care. And this kind of makes us mad that you went to Hawaii. But you've got to share it. Why do you got to share it? Because you get joy by sharing these amazing things that you've seen. It's why grandparents are annoying with their grandchildren. A grandparent is going to show you another video and another picture of their grandkid. And you're going to say, this kid isn't even that cute, but I've got to sit here and look at these pictures. It's not because you have joy in it. It's because they have joy in it. Friends, do you talk about God? Do you talk about Jesus? Are your lips talking about his praise? Does it just overflow out of you? You know, I I never really talk about evangelism because I don't think you can force evangelism. I don't think you can say, here's a program. You know, you need to take a a pamphlet and go knock on your neighbor's door. Yes. Hello. Uh, If you were to die tonight, do you know if you would uh, spend uh, your eternity in heaven with uh, Jesus or would you burn in hell forever in the lake of fire? You know, that's kind of the evangelism strategy that I grew up with. Now, for one, that's creepy and I don't think it ever works. You know, nobody's like, oh, thank you. I do realize I was going to burn in the pit of hell forever. Sign me up. You know. It's just not how it works. And I always felt uncomfortable doing it. Like I was a salesman. No, that's not even the way the Bible presents evangelism. You know how the Bible presents evangelism? Our lives are like salt. It makes everything taste better. And people look at us and they go, why are you so happy? What is the reason for your joy? And you, overflowing with joy in Jesus, invite them into this life by nature of your life. And you don't have to try to tell them about Jesus. It just comes out of you. You're thanking God. You're praying good prayers over your food. And as they are invited into your life, what happens is they eventually see Jesus. It's like introducing one friend to another friend. Uh, This is probably the thing that's helped me the most with evangelism is uh, somebody told me, Blake, it's just like how you connect two friends. You know, say I have a friend over here and I meet a new friend over here. Well, if I'm really good friends with the friend I already had, what's going to happen eventually? I'm going to invite this friend to go golfing and this friend's going to come with us. And before I know it, these two friends are now friends themselves and they have their own relationship with one another. The same is true with Jesus. 
If you get to know Blake Farley long enough, you should know Jesus is my best friend. And Jesus is going to show up at some of these places where we are together. And eventually, I hope that Jesus becomes your friend. And that's exactly what's going on here. He has this lifestyle of praise. Friends, what is coming off of your lips? What are you praising? You know, is it the new TV show that you're watching? Is it a new app that you found? I got this really cool thing for Christmas. It's a notebook. Look, I get all my notes in this. It's like this thin. It weighs 0.1 pounds. My wife won't yell at me anymore because papers won't be all over the house. I've been telling everybody about this. People don't care, but I tell them anyways. I should be like that about Jesus this year. This year, I pray that more and more when you're around me, I'm like, oh, you know what Jesus showed me? Do you know what Jesus did for my family? Oh, did you know what I just read in the book of Leviticus? I was reading about this certain law, and oh my gosh, there's Jesus behind this law. And you're like, why does he love Leviticus? It's because I love Jesus. That's what ought to be happening to us. Praise coming off our lips, worshiping and praising him at all times. Because friends, you will worship and you will praise something. You will. Uh, You know what the most politically active group is? The most politically active group is atheist. You know why? Because you've got to serve something. You've got to live for something. And you could say you don't believe in God, but you'll just replace God with another God. So what is your God? What are you worshiping? What are you serving? What are you praising in all of life? This is the portrait of a Christian. I just turned my my machine off. You know, notebooks don't get turned off. I got too excited, I guess. It shook it too much. Uh, (laughs) Number one is eager pursuit of God. Number two, love for the person of Jesus. And number three, a lifestyle of worship and praise. Now, here we are at the gym looking at ourselves in the mirror, and we're not looking good, are we? When you look at that portrait of the psalmist, you're thinking, okay, here's the measuring line. I don't quite measure up to that. And that's, that's good. The Bible is supposed to be like a mirror. You're supposed to look into it, and it's supposed to make you feel bad. Uh, I heard a story of a, a new Christian who went to his pastor, and he said, I've been reading the Bible, and I don't think it's working. And the pastor said, what do you mean you don't think it's working? He said, well, I read it, and I feel more and more terrible the more I read it. And the pastor said, oh, it's working. That's what's supposed to happen. It's a mirror. It's like when you look in the, the bathroom mirror and your hair's messed up, you, you've either got to deal with your messed up hair or you just got to walk out knowing, well, I look terrible. Uh, a lot of times it's a lot easier to not look in the mirror. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but sometimes, uh, like this morning, my wife wasn't there to make sure I looked okay. And I just, I didn't look in the mirror because I didn't want to know what's there. I don't know what my hair looks like right now. I hope it's okay. But I, I kind of like being oblivious to the fact that my hair might be a mess. And some of you like being oblivious that your spiritual life might be a mess. So you don't ever go to the Bible to look at the mirror. But the Bible also provides us comfort. And that's what we see in Psalm chapter 63. In the midst of this challenge, there is great comfort. And there's great power that we can actually live up to this challenge through the power of Jesus Christ. So let's look back through it. Uh, and we're going to look at three comforts from Psalm chapter 63. Number one is that authentic faith is marked by thirst. I, I love this. It says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. Now, here's why this is encouraging to me. Because if you go to any Christian bookstore, or if you look at the top Christian books, uh, most of them are uh, really, if you read them, you begin to think that the Christian life is this constant feeling of God's closeness. You think, man, this person, when they read the Bible, they must always be overjoyed with Jesus. You might even look at me and you might think, man, Blake, when he reads the Bible, I bet he has an awesome quiet time every single morning. Because when you're looking at me up here, I'm at my best. I'm preaching from God's word. I'm preaching above my life. But I'm not like this on Tuesday at six in the morning. Tuesday, six in the morning, I'm barely getting out of bed. I don't want to read my Bible and I have to have coffee or I'm going to say bad words to the dogs because we've got five puppies now and they're all over the place and they're pooping everywhere. And it's just not pleasant. I'm not preacher Blake at Tuesday. I'm just Blake. But you can look at me and you can begin to think, man, the Christian life is this constant new revelation of Jesus. 
You know, like the angels are always fluttering around you. Everything is always perfect. And what I love here is we get this portrait of somebody who's all after God. And yet, what does he say? I'm thirsty. In fact, this is a sign of authentic faith. The person who never thirsts for God, who never feels his absence, is a person who's not a Christian at all. Your Christian faith will be marked by these senses of absence. Like, I am far from God, and I want to be closer. You can think of it this way. Dead people aren't thirsty. You know, we don't have to bring a bottle of water to the guy in the casket, because he doesn't need a drink anymore. But if you're alive, if you're alive to Christ, then you need the water that is Christ. And you find yourself thirsty. You find yourself seeking the satisfaction that can only be found in Him. Uh, it's just like when you love somebody. The more that you love somebody, the more you miss them when they are gone. My wife went with her sister uh, to some bridal expo, uh, which sounds a little bit like hell to me, uh, to be honest. So I'm glad I didn't have to go to that. But to be honest with you, I don't even want to go home now at the end of the day because I'm going to be all by myself in the house. And what I've noticed is the more I love Taylor, the more that I miss her. As my love continues to grow for her, the less time I want to spend apart from her. She's my best friend and I want to be with her at all times. You know, sometimes I'll even go to Walmart with her. And that's how you know I'm in love. Because, you know, Bible Expo might be like hell. I think hell literally is. You're just in Walmart for all eternity. That might truly be hell. But I will go there because it's heaven if Taylor is there. And, and that is because I love her. And when I'm not with her, I miss her. It's why you cry when your grandpa dies, but you don't cry when my grandpa dies. Why? Well, because you're going to miss your grandpa a lot more and you're going to miss mine. You love them so much more. When somebody tells me of a loved one that they have dies, I feel bad for them, but I don't cry. But when one of my loved ones dies, I cry because I love them. And I can even say to myself, well, they're in a better place. And that might be true. But you know why I cry? Because I know that there's separation now. I can't call them anymore. I can't reach out to them anymore. And that hurts because I love them. And if I didn't love them so much, then it wouldn't hurt so much. Well, friends, when you feel this kind of pain that you are far from God. In fact, even as I was reading the three kind of portraits of what a Christian should be, you might have felt this hunger in yourself. Man, I was, I was more like that. Or you might have thought, there was a time when I was more like that and I've drifted so far. I want you to know that should comfort you. That is a sign of authentic faith that you would know that one time you love Jesus. And the more that you love Jesus, the more that you miss him when, you feel pres- when he doesn't feel present to you. So number one is authentic faith is marked by thirst. And I pray that that encourages you. Number two is God isn't hiding. Look at verse two. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. And when we think of sanctuary, we think of a place where you're not supposed to drink Kool-Aid because it'll get on the carpet. Uh, but that word sanctuary is truly a powerful word. In the Old Testament, the sanctuary was the only place where God met with humanity. And it was a miracle that God would meet with humanity anywhere. Here's this holy God. And yet unholy people have this place where they can come. It was this place where heaven and earth met each other. Amen. Well, friends, as New Testament Christians... We have it even better. This is not the sanctuary. Well, we might call it a sanctuary, but this is not the place where heaven and earth meet. Amen. The place where heaven and earth meet primarily is in Jesus Christ. God took on flesh and he walked amongst us. He was the living sanctuary. Human, humanity and God in one flesh. Some people say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he didn't make himself more clear to me. And God's going to look at them and say, I came in the flesh. <laughs> what more do you want? I became a human. I died and rose again. <laughs> this is the true sanctuary that is Jesus Christ. But it gets even crazier than that because Jesus says now the sanctuary is not limited to a temple. The sanctuary is everywhere my believers are because I've made you a sanctuary. God and humanity meets in you, Christian. The Holy Spirit has taken up his residence in you. And in us as the body of Christ, there is something unique where two or three are gathered. Jesus says, I am there with them. In other words, if you want more of God, 
you should know that he's not hiding. You don't have to be like the thirsty man in the desert looking for water. You're really like the thirsty man and there's like this huge water fountain right in front of your face. And you're like, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And everybody's like, the water fountain is right there. And what I want you to know is if you're thirsty for God this year, the water fountain is right there. He's right there in the word of God. He's right there in the people of God. If you will go all in and seek after him, you will find him because he's not hiding. And here's the last one and then I'll pray for us. Number three is the search ends in satisfaction. Three comforts. Number one, authentic faith is marked by thirst. Number two, God isn't hiding. And number three, the search ends in satisfaction. Uh, Look at verse five. It says, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You satisfy me. There's nothing worse than when you're hungry and you think you're about to eat and the search is unsatisfactory. You know, you keep opening the pantry over and over, praying to God that somehow, some way, there will be something new in the pantry that you've opened four times. And there never is. And it's, just, it's the worst feeling. Is it not when you're hungry, but there's nothing there to eat? Uh, I, Jesse's dad just hit him on the shoulder. It was just like at Falls Creek. Oftentimes I'd be hungry and I'd go into the kitchen at our church camp and, and there'd be no food there because Jesse had already eaten the food. <laughs> Terrible, terrible feeling. (laughs) It's like, you know, you're going to the dessert table and you're ready to eat dessert. and You're praying to God there's good dessert there. And all you find is carrot cake. It's terrible. I know some of you guys like carrot cake and it's okay. It's since a place where you're allowed to be wrong. Uh, The search isn't satisfactory. But what the scripture tells us is the search of God is always satisfactory. He will fulfill you. All that you want is found in him and him alone. So in this is also another challenge, and that is don't ruin your appetite. You know, this is something your, your parents told you when you were a toddler. Yeah, don't, don't ruin your appetite. You can't eat the zebra cake before dinner because it'll ruin your appetite. You'll eat that sugar stuff, and you won't want the, the vegetables and the meat that you're supposed to have to sustain you. But we can do the same with Christ Jesus. Instead of going to him to experience salvation, find peace, no purpose, and live fulfilled, I can go to other things. You know, I, I can go to social media to try to find my purpose and my meaning in life. Or I can go to my job and throw myself into work. Or I can, I can try to make my kids these awesome kids and have them in every club and every program known to man. So we're running around all the time. Why? Well, that, that is an effort to experience salvation outside of Jesus. I, I'm trying to have some sort of status. I'm trying to do something with these children to make me feel better about myself. I can do that. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to ruin my appetite. Because I'm not eagerly seeking the Lord. I'm eagerly seeking other things. I can try to find my peace through a bottle or through an addiction or through some other means of method of finding peace instead of going to Jesus. And what am I doing? I'm, I'm ruining my appetite, my purpose and my fulfillment and things outside of Jesus. And I would just tell you, friends, make sure you put God first this year. Eagerly seek after him because he is the only one who will fulfill you with all the good things. And, and I'll close with this. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take an offering and then we're going to sing. Uh, but. Uh, every year, every January, the first sermon of the year, what I've done since the beginning of Ascent is I introduce what I would call the one-year challenge. And I would just tell you just to go all in with us for one year here at Ascent. By that, I mean be here for as many of the 21 days of prayer and fasting as you can. Make Sundays a priority. Uh, if you came last year 12 times, try to make it 40 out of 52 Sundays this year. Go all in with us at Ascent as we follow Jesus together for one year. And at the end of the year, if you don't like it, guess what you can do? You can always go right back to the way that you were. It won't hurt a single thing. But what I believe will happen is at the end of the year, you will have a greater vision of who Jesus Christ is. You will fulfill your purpose in a way you never thought possible, and you'll have fulfillment. It won't be easy. In fact, you'll probably face more challenges by doing it this way. But you will be closer to God at the end of the year. And I've never had anybody who's actually taken that challenge regret taking it. 
And that's my prayer, and that's my ask that you would do that with us. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you, God, for the psalmist who shows us a picture of, of what a true Christian ought to look like, of what we want to look like. God, may we look more like this psalmist at the end of the year than we do right now. And Jesus, thank you for the comfort that is in this text. God, that you know our frame. You know we are weak people. We often find our comfort in other sins. And yet, Jesus, you meet us where we are. You are that sanctuary who took on flesh and lived a life we couldn't live. Died the death we deserve to die so we might have relationship with God. And you rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus, thank you so much for the comforts you've given us in your word. And I pray for many more as we go throughout this year. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. If you would, friends, take 20 seconds with your eyes closed and head bowed and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Friends, let's stand and sing and we'll take the offering after.